You're listening to Scalay Sisters, special episode number two. Welcome to Scalay Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalay Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandi Benzel. You can find me at Afterthoughts, that's my main blog, and also Teaching Reading with Bob Books, which is where I keep my line of printable phonics lessons. You can hear more from me on my other podcast, Aftercast. My co-hosts today are Misty Winkler and Pam Barnhill. Misty is a second-generation homeschooler with five kids and too many projects. She writes about practical classical homeschooling at Simply Convivial and about organizing attitudes at Simplified Organization. Pam is an author, speaker, blogger at pambarnhill.com, and you'll probably recognize her from her two popular podcasts, Homeschool Snapshots and Your Morning Basket. This episode is something of a bonus for those of you who attended our Leading Well retreat this past summer. If you didn't attend the retreat, we think you'll still enjoy the episode, but more importantly, a lot of you have asked if we offer replays of the retreat for those who missed it or didn't know about it at the time. Starting today, the answer to that question is a resounding yes. So, enjoy this question and answer session. We are all over the place. Logical consequences, book recommendations on Socrates and Hannibal, dealing with meltdowns, all of it. And then at the end, we'll tell you how to go get your own retreat replay for those of you who have been waiting. And so without further ado, let's get to it. All right, so as we said in the intro, we're going to be answering questions that are left over from the retreat that we had. When was that? End of July, right? Yep. The online retreats that were in Portland. And so these questions, if they don't make sense, we will explain them for those of you who didn't get to go to the retreat. So we're answering these questions. They are in no particular order. And we're just going to start at the beginning and end where we end. And so I'm trying to think. I think the first one is, is that for you, Misty? Was it you that talked about Hannibal at the retreat? (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) So the first one is any book recommendations about Hannibal? (laughs) Well, I know about Hannibal's from our school (laughs) (laughs) read-alouds. So what we read um, is, I I can never say her name, M.B. Singy or Singe? I usually say Singe. I don't know if I'm right. Okay. Singe. I'll go with it. Just say it with confidence. Exactly. And then, so I was thinking, you know, I was drawing on historic leaders as examples. And so I had Hannibal in there and I thought, you know, oh, crossing the Alps. So, so I was just kind of brainstorming leaders. And then I, so then I went and read Rick, what Wikipedia had to say. So that... <laughs> So no book recommendations about I, Hannibal in school reading. <laughs> so we can link to your uh, school reading list for that year for the uh, show notes. Sure. Yeah. Oh, well, works. I was also thinking, okay, I'm trying to remember which one. I mean, we read about Hannibal when we did one of Ann White's Plutarch studies. Oh. I'm trying to remember which study 
does she have there isn't a study on him right so it would be no he's mentioned it was actually really fascinating we learned some of the art of war i would say because it was it talked about you know the techniques that were i'm trying to remember who what were the names of the generals that were fighting against him because it was one of them okay that was the I'm trying to right now, but I'm not being very successful. (laughs) I'm like, I haven't done so many lives that it's not going to stick out to me who this is, but it's really not. Anyway, I can just look through my Plutarch books and we can add it to the show notes. But it it definitely gives, gives the other side's view of Hannibal because it's really about who he's fighting against. Right. It's the Roman side of it. Yeah. All right. Who's Shepherd and Sheepdog? Is that you too? That's me also. I guess I just generated questions. So it's my talk. <laughs> so I, in one of my talks, I used the metaphor of being a shepherd instead of a sheepdog nipping at the heels. Because I feel like that's, like, I am the sheepdog often. I'm, like, just pestering and going around. My version of managing people is just hounding them. <laughs> is barking orders. <laughs> barking <laughs> Good, that Yeah, that's me. I can say that because that's me too. Yeah. <laughs> but a shepherd like knows where he's going. And I think for the most part, like he goes and the sheep follow. You know, the, yeah. the biblical example of the sheep hear his voice and they follow. And so the voice of the shepherd, I think, think of as being calm and deliberate. And that kind of confidence that just expects people to follow. I think having some of that where you're just confident in your authority. You just expect people to follow, and they do. Whereas the kind of barking is like insisting upon your authority, (laughs) which is actually not being confident in it, uh, when you're just kind of grabbing it and forcing it. And that's not a good example of leadership, or that's not the right model for leadership. You know, I say to my kids often, and and I'm really surprised this works, but it does. (laughs) I say, I expect you to do this. Like, you have no other option. The Mm -hmm. expectation is you do this. And sometimes just simply saying, I expect you to do this, or this is the expectation, they do it. So that's your never negotiate with terrorists, right? You're you're not negotiating. (laughs) You're not arguing. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm totally surprised it works sometimes, but it does. Mm-hmm. You know, they just once it's almost like once they know that this is the line in the sand, then they're OK with it. But they have yeah. to be told in no uncertain terms. This is the expectation. So let me think of an example. Like if somebody's, you know, maybe dawdling with something and, you know, it's not that they're struggling with the activity, you know. Yeah, they just don't want to. They just don't want it. It's something simple. Let's say, so, you know, you give the fifth grader a math drill sheet to do. And so it's single digit edition. This kid has no problem with this, <laughs> right? You know, there's beyond a shadow of a doubt this kid can do this. And he's probably actually bored by it and totally doesn't understand the reason why he needs to stay fast and yes. speedy with his edition facts. But he can do it. So, you know, look. The expectation is you're going to sit here and you're going to work as hard as you can on this for the next two to three minutes that it's going to take you to finish it. And then we're going to move on. And typically that's what it takes to get them to straighten up and do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. 
Well, I think this also goes right in. Maybe we could skip around a little bit because I think this leads right into another question down here, which was, um, she said that she had a problem with a 15-year-old son that he doesn't follow through when they ask him to do things. So she said that she's gotten in the habit of hounding, right, and prodding. <laughs> so I think that that hounding, kind of nagging, is the sheepdog nipping at heels that's ineffective. And she said that she realized in CM boot camp that uh, she had caused him to stop listening because he expected her to keep telling him. So, you know, he's relying on her to prod and remind. And so after talking to him and telling him that he needs to be responsible to follow through after one time asking, he didn't. So it's like hard to give up nagging when that's your typical response because it's not like you stop nagging and suddenly they magically start obeying. Right. <laughs> it is something that takes training of both of you, like train you're un having to undo a bad habit on your end and on their end, both. And so it's just going to be a kind of, it, it'll take time. And it'll be a messy process. Yeah, because he's going to have to fail some. He's going to have to pay exactly. the consequences. You know, he's going to have to not turn some things in at co-op or be embarrassed by not having something or lose some privileges because his room didn't get clean or the garbage yeah. didn't get taken out or he's going to have to suffer some before he learns and you're going to have to stick with it for a while. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you're going to have to suffer some. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Holding that line. Yeah. Well, and sometimes I think the hardest part is that especially if the consequences are more serious, <laughs> I guess I would say that our mother hearts don't want them to suffer that. You know, it's one thing if they lose screen time, but it's another thing if they lose their job or something. I think that's when, as a mom, stepping back and trying to see the big picture, it's better to lose your job now than it yeah. is when you're providing for your family. It's better right. to, you know what I mean? Like XYZ, everything as we get older, the consequences always become more severe. Right. Even though, yeah. It would have been nice to take care of this at 10 when the consequences were even less. It's still better now <laughs> than 10 years from now when the stakes are higher. So I think we have to be careful. Do you think an intermediary step? So like, okay, kid's about to lose his job, right? Because he's not getting there on time or whatever. Maybe this is a horrible idea, but, you know, could you do some kind of intermediary thing where, you know, I'll remind you to go to your job. But if I have to remind you to get ready to go to your job, then it's going to cost you half of your pay this week. Oh, interesting. So that way he doesn't lose the job. Right. But yeah, I think especially when you are have been in the habit of nagging and prodding, you have to have intermediary steps. I could see that. Training steps because it's kind of like you've been his life jacket and you can't just remove the life jacket and throw him into the deep end and expect, okay, so this is what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to be able to swim. So go. Yeah, that's a really good point. We have to do swimming lessons <laughs> um, yeah. after removing the life jacket. There do have to be hard consequences though. Yeah. Yes. Well, that is the training. Something that's going to get his attention, not just. Yeah, it's not just you talking, you know, that, that kind of product. You have to stop talking, give the requirement 
and a consequence and then hold that line. So, you know, you kind of can baby step those consequences, but you need to remove the nagging step of it and just hold that consequence line. And it's going to be, and it's hard. Right. One of the things that comes to mind for me is just how the theme of repentance came up a number of times during the retreat. And I'm thinking here, you know, that a lot of times kicking something like this off with a formal meeting that is non-confrontational, but is more about me as the mother repenting and saying, you know, look, I've gotten into this really bad habit and I'm not doing you any favors. And going forward, it's going to be different. And here are some options that you can choose. You know, if you talk about these intermediary steps or whatever, here are some possible options we could explore. Which one do you, you know, sounds the best to you? <laughs> the goal being not to take half of your pay. That's not the goal. The goal being you actually get yourself to work on time or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That formal meeting where you're kind of on the same side, on the same team. I'm sorry. Right before... Yeah. And before there's any confrontation, it's not a heat of the moment conversation. Yes. Right. And then asking them, what would be the thing that would help you build this good habit? You know, and maybe they can't tell you, but just the fact that you've made them part of the decision might make them own it. Especially at 15. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it has to start becoming their thing. It's not your thing. You know, their responsibility, you know, you need to hand it over to them even if you know that they're going to mismanage it. It's like they have to have that experience, which includes mismanaging it, uh, but it's experience that they need. Yep. Let's see here. Okay. Misty, did you talk about Socrates too, or was that? Very briefly. I don't know. Okay, because there's one here about recommended books on Socrates. The only, I I haven't really read any books about Socrates, except, again, our ancient history school readings like at the elementary level. <laughs> but I have read I have read some Socrates. Oh, I talked about Socrates. <laughs> it's for you. Good. You have to. But doesn't C.S. Lewis have a quote about how it's better to read the ancients than read about them? Yes. Like it's actually easier to read. And we've talked about this in the Scully Sisters episode. As long as you get a good translation, they're actually surprisingly comprehensible. Yes. More so than the academics writing about them. <laughs> yes. That essay originally appeared as an introduction to Athanasius on the incarnation. I think that's eventually was separated out and published elsewhere, like in some collection, but that's where mm-hmm. he first said that because that's where he also talks about chronological snobbery and the reading old books and all that kind of stuff. It's all in that same essay. I know I have been reading the four Socratic dialogues. So I think... This was published in the 1800s, so it's public domain. We can put a link in the show notes. At that time, I'm not sure they had more Socratic. I don't know if they had more Socratic dialogues and there was just four that they considered the main ones or if they actually only had four at that time and we found more. Because there's more than this now. But anyway, they're very good. And it does give you that sense of his, because we were talking about his playfulness and his leading in a really nonchalant kind of subdued way like he wasn't an in-your-face kind of leader or teacher you definitely get that sense just from reading the four i can put a link in the show notes to that i actually found it in real life we were at we went to pals in portland and i was looking through the ancients section and the latin section and i found 
that copy of the four Socratic dialogues that I was working off of archive.org, I found it in a print copy in Pals. I didn't buy it, but I saw it. Because <laughs> I was afraid I had already bought it and just didn't remember. <laughs> anyway. All right. Next question. What do we want to do? What do you do to decompress or rejuvenate yourselves? Mm. You know, Pam eats dark chocolate and drinks wine. Right. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also seek out quiet. I mean, seriously, mm. it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that for me. I just like I could get in the van and drive with by myself with no noise. And that pretty much does it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so unexciting, I know. Well, I think identifying what you need and paring it down, because it's easy to like build up the like, this is what my ideal refreshment time would look like. It would have this and this and this and happen at this time and be this long. It's easy to add on those requirements almost, and then it never happens and you're dissatisfied. Whereas like, actually, all I need is just five minutes of no one talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'll just go get steps. I said, I'm going to go get steps. And I walk to the end of our street and back alone with my thoughts. And that's what I needed. (laughs) Right. Which is probably important to note that the three of us are introverts. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking, you know, we give examples and there could be some extrovert that's like, really? (laughs) You know, (laughs) we're going to be totally (laughs) underwhelmed by this. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so I think a lot of times an extrovert thinks they need people. And that's like then the only option they give themselves. Kind of like sometimes an introvert sets up those requirements for I need this length of time of right you know, absolute nothingness. On the other hand, an extrovert can tend to say, I have to be with friends or what. And then sometimes it is refreshing and sometimes it isn't. Hmm. Uh, and say with, with introverts and alone time. But an, another option that is a good option for extroverts is expression. So it's not just social time being good or not good for either introverts or extroverts. An extrovert needs expression time. It can be alone. It doesn't have to be with friends, but Mm -hmm. some kind of way to create or do or get something out of themselves is refueling. Hmm. The other way I could look at this question is that it's actually two different things. So what do you do to decompress and, or rejuvenate? I think of decompressing as de-stressing. And sometimes if I'm too stressed out, I cannot do rejuvenation type things. Right. Because for me, that's usually the reading, writing, thinking sort of thing that I find very rejuvenating. But when I'm really stressed out, I, I can't quiet my mind enough to do that. Yeah. So, you know, de-stressing for me might look like a movie on Friday night or something, you know, just a time to do something kind of brainless, (laughs) get my mind off all the things I'm thinking about. And it's like pressing the reset button so that those other things are possible. Yeah. The amusing yourself to leisure. Yep. Totally. That was a good episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you think you would do another retreat? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. We're already planning one. The question is, can we say anything about it in this episode? I bet we can't. No way. So Uh, why not? What if something changes? (laughs) I think we can just say that it's possible that there will be a very special guest there. And we can't tell you her name, but we can say you're going to love her. (laughs) (laughs) 
And if there ends up not being one, well, psych. Yeah, really. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out Brandy is that person. Yeah, really. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, it's me. Just kidding. (laughs) So. But we're looking at fall of next year instead of summer. Right. We are. Right. Due to speaking schedules and things like that. So Right. And weather. (laughs) (laughs) And weather. We can't do it in the winter. Right. Well, and there were certain places we thought about going to make it convenient for our imaginary special guests that we're not naming. And um, we didn't want to do that in the summer. Right. Because humidity. (laughs) So um, let's see. What's another one? I'm kind of flipping through here. Um... How involved, okay, I don't know if I can say it this way. I'm going to read it as it's written. But it You want me to on, say it? <laughs> you can say it. Yes, you say it. How involved are all of y'all's husbands in homeschooling? <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to butcher that. I know that is like oh. s- Southern plural possessive or whatever. But <laughs> I love it. And over here it'd be how invite how involved are your guys' husbands? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh. All right. My husband started correcting math. I'm super excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> After my, my son was in algebra. And I was like, uh, could you maybe correct math? He said, sure. So that's awesome. He makes them show their work. He's he's meaner than I was, so then I look good. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I've tried, you know, I'll make sure and leave an opening for conversations like this is what I'm thinking about for next year. Or, you know, I can show you things, but he's like, you've got it. It's fine. Whatever you want to do. Things are working well. You know, he doesn't want to have those conversations. Yeah, it's pretty much delegated to me. And I make those decisions. And so he doesn't pick books or care <laughs> necessarily. As long as it's happening and it's consistent, you know, then then we're good. Yeah, you mean so life is not a Ryan Gosling, hey girl meme? No, no. It's disappointing, <laughs> isn't it? I know. <laughs> um, no, seriously, my husband is not involved at all. And so he's like the, I mean, his personality is what well, I'm the disciplinarian. Oh, he's the Disneyland dad. (laughs) He's the Disneyland dad. Yeah. Well, okay. I love my husband. Sometimes he's a little old and grumpy. Um, Because, well, he's 50. And so if you do, Olivia's 12. So if you do the math, he was pretty set in his ways by the time we had kids, you know. (laughs) But he's just calmer and, and more. So it's not like he's. Disneyland dad and that he's fun 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 all the time but he's you know he just doesn't want to ruffle any feathers right yeah (laughs) I think as moms it's easy to get this ideal of what we think our husbands should be contributing or doing or you know it's like they don't care and it's like no they have delegated and they trust you so that's actually awesome right yeah that's very much the case he's delegated he trusts me and he's He'll, he'll check in to see how I'm doing or if I feel stressed or something like that. And I'm not going to lie. It would be really nice sometimes to have the kids, you know, be really scared to have to turn in their work to dad. 
Girl, he's not scary. No, it's not going to happen around here. So I can either spit and feel really sorry for myself about it, or I can just, you know, thank my lucky stars that when I want to do what I want to do, he's not standing in my way. So Right. Yeah, that would be hard for me because I, I make a plan and then I'm like, how dare someone adjust my plan for me? <laughs> right. So you always have to take the good with the bad. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. Or the bad with the good or whatever. My husband occasionally functions as the principal's office with a certain little boy. Every once in a while, he has to make a phone call to his dad's office and explain exactly what he just said to me. (laughs) 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 And then he gets to hear how dad agrees that it's a bad idea. (laughs) So, and actually that I would say is probably one of the more helpful things because I just, I don't feel like I need a whole lot of help with the school stuff, but sometimes with the discipline stuff with boys, early elementary school boys can be complicated, I feel like. so. Or middle school. That's when we would stop and say, okay, if dad was the one saying what I'm saying, would you talk to him that way? Right. (laughs) Okay. No, if you want to have this argument, you can have it with dad. I'm not going to have this argument with you. Yes. You can ask dad what he thinks later. Just know, you know, he's going, he's going to back me up. Right. (laughs) Our sons know that too. And so they're like, you know, (laughs) it ends the argument (laughs) because they never actually do decide to take up the argument with dad. But that's kind of a a backup that you need when they're in middle school and high school for boys. Yes. It's not like he's doing it, you know, it's just guy to guy is different than boy trying to not be under his mom's thumb anymore. Right. I haven't done middle school. I mean, with a boy, I haven't done it again. And my firstborn, I just, it was pretty easy. So I'm a little bit terrified (laughs) (laughs) the next time, just because the personality difference, like it's gonna be a whole different ballgame the next time. So it'll be interesting to see if I survive that. (laughs) (laughs) I need to make a shirt like, I survived teaching homeschool middle school. (laughs) Anyway. Actually, it should say, you don't scare me. I survived teaching homeschool middle school. Seriously. (laughs) I think we'd have some buyers for that one. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Uh, How do we regain confidence in our children when they are currently not being good with follow through? Mainly my boys, 10 and 12. Ah, okay. So as a little bit of background, I think this was from my talk in which I talked about Charlotte Mason saying that we should have confidence in our children. And so it's kind of what you were saying earlier, actually, Pam, this idea of I expect blah, 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 right? And there's not a whole lot of nagging or threatening in that sentence. You've just laid it out and it's kind of like being a boss Uh, at a business, you have this confidence that generally people are going to do what you said because you're in charge, right? It's the wearing of your authority. It's the whole thing. So that's where this is coming from. And it's an interesting parallel because it's like, okay, well, if you were a boss and you had employees that had, you know, repeatedly not done what you said, what would you do (laughs) to get back to that point? Which I mean, I know. Can I fire my kids? Right. (laughs) It's where the analogy breaks down, I think, actually. So I don't know. I mean, my first thought is, again, this is where we start with a conversation. They're old enough to sit down at the table and have a meeting. 
this is how it's going to be from now on. I'm going to say something and you're going to do it. End of conversation. (laughs) You know what I mean? But then in your own head, not actually expecting that magic to happen. Like that is your expectation and the line that you're going to draw with them. But as you can't just walk away. Exactly. It's not going to magically happen. It's going to happen with them. You know, just like the two year old, you tell him don't touch. He looks and reaches. And, you know, different kids and some kids just immediately like stare, stare you down and slap their hand on the thing that you told them not to touch. It's not touch and you deal with it. Right. And that's your job as a mom and that's training. And this is really the exact same thing, just different context, different age. But it's that same impulse that the kids have. And it's the same kind of training tactics, the same training principles, even though it looks different. So there has to be a consequence. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you and you apply it calmly i think i think it goes that sheepdog shepherd thing even when i've had a consequence that i apply when i'm all agitated and irritated and applying the consequence in anger that's the sheepdog nipping at he you know i'm mm-hmm. all irritated and mad and angry and i feel justified in being angry but the times where holding that consequence has been effective are where they don't ruffle my feathers. I'm just calmly saying, well, then this is what we said would happen. And this is what's happening. And the good news about 12, 10, you know, 11, 13 year olds is that you don't have to necessarily apply the consequence immediately. Whereas right. if you have a like four year old, yeah, you got to, if not, they're not going to make the connection, but that this is the consequence for whatever. And I know Brandy's going to talk about logical consequences, but <laughs> I, I struggle. I struggle coming up with what is the logical consequence to this? You know, what's the logical consequence to not loading the dishwasher? Well, it's not that I'm going to sit and eat off of dirty plates. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what something I've done before. The child that was supposed to do that and didn't had to hand wash everything in order for us to have proper dishes at the meal. Mm. Because what I realized was that Someone at my house had done this more than once where they just went and got paper plates and plastic and then they played it off as, oh, you know, whoever had to do the dishes after dinner isn't going to have to do as much or blah, blah, you know, I mean, like tried to make it sound nice. And it turned out they were just covering for (laughs) not having done the dishes. So anyway, yeah, I've done that before or when the, for whatever reason, we have a silverware problem here, but I've done that a lot where, well, you didn't make sure that there was silverware in the dishwasher before you ran it. And so now you have to hand wash all the silverware. Yeah, and I think I like to tell them they need practice. And so even if it's a different job, mm. they can practice by doing other work well. You know, okay, so you just need more chores. You need more practice doing your chores <laughs> cheerfully. I love so we're going to keep giving you a chore <laughs> until you can do it cheerfully. <laughs> and then I, I get a really clean house. So <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, girls, I have done do-overs a couple of times this week with my (laughs) seven, almost eight-year-old. You know, there's been a couple of uh, times where he was going to have a throw-down fit, and I just told him his behavior wasn't acceptable. He could have a do-over, and he could try it again. And so, you know, the proper response was, yes, ma'am, or 
yes, mom, or I'm sorry, or, you know, I would tell right. him what the proper mm-hmm. response was and give him a chance to do a do-over. And it, yeah, it works. So thank you for that, by mm-hmm. the way. Hey. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's kind of, so it gives them an out where sometimes they don't really, ha- they don't see their other options other than if they have a habit of throwing a fit. Sometimes to them, I think that looks like their only option. And so to be able to cut off the bad option and say, no, and give them a way out, like a do-over or practice. And having those, just my own way of talking about like, oh, this is, I'm just giving you practice and talk about like, I'm giving them this benefit, this good thing, (laughs) then helps me not be giving it like a consequence in anger. Because my tone can make it a good thing or a bad thing. It can be the exact same consequence, the exact same everything else, but it's really all depends on my tone, which so sticks, true. but <laughs> it's, true. it's true. So this kind of leads or goes along with the examples of consequences, uh, yeah. the behavior, attitudes, dawdling. And we did talk about that, I think, a little bit during the t- retreat and just now. So do-overs, like, no, you're going to do that again, you know, but say the right thing. Right. And logical consequences, we've talked about the classic example is, you know, your child's throwing a ball, breaks something in the neighborhood, has to pay to replace it it. or pay for part of it if it's outside. I mean, there are times when they break something they couldn't possibly pay for, right? So then they have to pay a reasonable part. We've done that a couple of times where it was like, if it was a $300 thing, they had to pay 100 or something because expecting a 10-year-old to earn a $300 is kind of outrageous. So. Well, I'm going to speak as every man here yeah. because, or every woman, because um, that's the classic example because that one's easy. Um, uh, I think there are a, a lot of times where, and I, I, it can't just be me. There have to be other people out there raising their hands right now. That logical consequences sometimes, especially when you're standing in the heat of the moment, are really hard to come up with sometimes. I mean, I know they're supposed to be logical. But for whatever reason, something flips in the brain and it's very difficult to come up with. Well, I think that is when, at least for me, I say, go sit on your bed because I need a few minutes to think about this. And then I try to sit down and think through. You know, it's like the silverware thing that I mentioned earlier. What, what's the most logical con- consequence for not having done the dishes when you were supposed to? And we've done different things. So the hand washing was one example. Another, this happened to my boys the other day. So they are supposed to do dishes. In the morning on weekends, that's their assigned time, Saturday and Sunday morning. They have other assigned times, by the way. It's just that that was the one they missed. The thing we've said is if you aren't here for some reason, if you're spending the night at your grandparents' house, if you have to work for my teenager, whatever, it's just like a work schedule, right? You need to switch with someone. So we came home from church and there were dishes everywhere. They hadn't done it. And I had seen that before we left, but I didn't say anything. And so they came home. And so I just told them, okay, you have to do dishes the rest of the day. You know, otherwise they would have been done, right? They would have done their ones in the morning and that was it until Monday. But they just had to keep. So it wasn't a huge thing, but they were annoyed because they didn't want to do dishes the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, I think we ki- I kind of have the same basically three consequences. But then just the way I tell them usually frames it as a this because of that sort of way. So it's like they're either going to work more or not play with friends, or not play computer. You didn't do your school, so you're not going to play computer. You didn't use 
the time, your work time correctly, so you're not going to get your free time thing that you wanted. Or you didn't do your work, so you need to do more work. I think they pretty much all get caught under those. I can pretty much make those apply. <laughs> yeah. Just by spinning the way I say it. Or sometimes, you know, if they're fighting with their brothers and sisters, they'll say, well, then you can't play with friends until you learn how to play with your siblings nicely. So you need more practice playing with your siblings so you can't play with friends until you can talk to your sister nicely. This kind of goes into the bickering siblings question we got, I guess. But I did have a friend that tied her two children that were fighting. It had gone on and on all summer. So she tied them together. (laughs) Like they tied an arm and a leg together and gave them chores to do where they had to figure out how to do it together, like using each other's hands and stuff. <laughs> and um, she said by the end of the day, they were laughing and getting along very well. And they didn't fight the rest of the summer. I don't know. I know I've never done like creative consequences like that because I'm not considering myself very creative in that. But um, she said it was a pretty big hit. She's done it with two different sets of kids now. <laughs> that would annoy the heck out of me. <laughs> I think it takes a certain personality to do that. I was going to say, I would just pull it off. Yes, I can see that. You you might lose me forever if you tied me to another human being. (laughs) Well, I will say the two in my house that I considered doing it for are my two little extroverts and they're social and all that. So I didn't think that. Yeah, I could, depending on the combination of children, it would be a disaster to do that. But I considered it. My husband had the kids for a little while. He, When he was coming upon them bickering, he would make them stop and then say what they liked about the other person because they were insults being hurled. And so he just thought of the opposite. Like they did something bad. What's the opposite that they should do? Do that more times than they've done the bad thing. You know, so you're hurling an insult, say two things that you like about this person. It's restitution in a way, like paying for what you broke. You're replacing it. You're saying something good when you said something bad, or you get two chores instead of one. But being reminded what you do like about that person. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's kind of change, helping them change their thoughts. Yeah. I like that. Can I read the full question on bickering? Sure. How do you handle the constant bickering and arguing? I have children who like to be in control and not many who like to follow the lead. There are arguments on how a chore should be done or how a game should be played, you name it, and they bicker about it, even when the rules have been repeatedly stated. And this is from the six-year-old to the 16-year-old, and there are seven of these precious people here. Can you speak (laughs) to the theme of justice among siblings? How do you navigate that as a mom? Which you've already said some of that. I mean, on the one hand, you have something to be grateful for if you have people who are who are showing signs of leadership. <laughs> and True. Because if you have one, you know, that is actually better than having the one bossy child and one easy go, let everyone else have their way child. Because then that leads to neither of them really developing strength of character. So when mm. you think of it as ironing, sharpening iron, there are lots of sparks going <laughs> on, but in the end, it'll probably be good for them all. <laughs> yeah. So it's inevitable that it's going to happen with yeah. this particular group of personalities. But I think it could be tempered by Misty's husband's idea of when you come upon this happening, they have to stop 
and spend a few minutes appreciating the other person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've had some other things. So, for example, in here, arguments on how a chore should be done. So I kind of nip that in the bud with you are not in charge of someone else's chores. Yeah. I am in charge of the chores and I will decide because I have some children pickier than I am. Yes. And so it becomes a huge problem. Only for their siblings' jobs, of course. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yeah. Ironically, (laughs) yes. And so, and they don't necessarily have a sense of what I think their siblings are capable of either. Like, Mm -hmm. I might decide that this is good enough for that child to be working on at that level with this job at this particular moment in time. But it's not as perfect as they think it should be or how perfect they think it was when they were doing that particular chore or whatever, which usually means they misremembered what it was like to be six years old or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I had a situation where I had one child nagging another child almost to the point where that other child came in in tears, like almost crying. And I just realized that, you know, some personality types, Misty, you have taught me degenerate into like uber controlling. And I think that's kind of what was going on. And so we had a talk about how this is going to be your big temptation in life. You're going to see people doing things you don't like, and you're going to think it's your mission to hound them about doing it differently or better. And you can't do that. <laughs> no because one's going to want to be with you. Gonna like you. Exactly. I told this child that and not in quite those words. But it's interesting after having that conversation, then it could almost be a little bit of a joke or something that we could allude to elsewhere. Yeah, we say we say no one may do the policeman. <laughs> right. So that was helpful. I mean, how a game should be played. We've had this not inside our house, but in the neighborhood. Well, what's the consequence in the neighborhood? And the consequence in the neighborhood is that no one wants to play with you. You're not allowed to play the game anymore. I mean, they'll leave you out. So if that happens at home, and it's actually a consequence of playing unfairly, and not a co- not just two people trying to be mean to a third person or something. (laughs) I'm not sure that's a bad thing, right? If you cheated in the game, then we don't want to play with you. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I allow some of that. Yeah, because sometimes you have to allow them to work things out for themselves. Right. If there's not blood being drawn, you know. Right. Sometimes it's good not to swoop in. And I'm bad about this. I have to like constantly remind myself that I need to step back because because I don't like the noise that's involved yes. in the disagreeing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah. you guys just need to be quiet. And so I'll want to swoop in and fix it just so they'll stop making noise. Right. Well, I think what helped me accept more of the bickering, I allow more of it than I used to, was reading a number of articles that were talking about what was lost when children aren't playing together anymore. Because you know, there's a lot of articles mm-hmm. now about how screen time has affected the amount of time children spend playing. And one of the big things that psychologists seem to think kids are missing out on is actually negotiating. You know, when they are deciding how to handle each other in a crowd without adults, there is learning going on that pays dividends later in adulthood when they have to deal with people. They've learned all that by fighting in a pickup baseball game or something. Some of what I interpreted as an unhealthy level of arguing was actually a learning process that children just naturally go through when they're left alone. They fight things out. And it doesn't always look pretty, but it's just part of their learning process. 
Now, I don't want, you know, one child badgering another child to the point of tears. So I have to kind of keep an eye on it. But I just realized that there's probably a certain level of arguing that I was correcting to begin with because I didn't realize that they're not fighting the way it would be unhealthy if I was fighting with my husband like that. They're just learning to negotiate in life. Mm-hmm. It's not just screen time that's taking away from that. It's also the fact that when so many kids are going to these activities that are set up and run by adults. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So this is masterly inactivity. Right. Well, that's what I mentioned in my talk, right? To just let it. Yeah. It's, you know, playing a pickup volleyball game where they have to decide on their rules, decide. I mean, they and they decide on justice amongst themselves, right? So they'll think of ways, if you watch kids playing a pickup game, they'll think of ways to accommodate the smallest child or make it fair with the biggest child. I mean, like they actually are thinking through what makes the game fair. Very different than when you sign them up for a sports team that's led by adults. Not that that's bad to do, but it's a totally different It's a different thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think just the little reminders to help when one child is pestering the other person about their chore. I just say, hey, so does that mean all your chores are done? Yeah. (laughs) So, hey. I'm the mom. I'm right here. Thanks. You go do your thing. (laughs) Yeah. But what I have to remember is when I step in, that my job is actually diffusing and not escalating. Because sometimes I come in (laughs) and I'm actually escalating it and then stomping. Like, okay, no, I'm fixing this. Instead of where a low key, like, hey, mind your own business is all we need. Yep. Well, you know, I had one child that was doing this. And I had a discussion with that child. This this is not the same child that I mentioned earlier, by the way, (laughs) because this child was being bossy with chores too. I just remembered this and um, ended up having an extended conversation where it was basically that this child disagreed with how I managed these things. And (laughs) I talked about different levels of standards and different (laughs) levels of strictness. And I did finally have to tell that particular child, you can be as strict with your own children as you want. I am not comfortable being that strict. And you have to live with that because I was the one God put in charge. (laughs) And I had to be really, really clear. Over the long term, that did help. We're in the midst of those conversations. We haven't haven't fully resolved that one yet. Yeah. Well, this was a couple of years ago that we had the conversation. So it didn't go away, you know, right away. And, you know, and I had to say, look, I really thought that I would be stricter than I am. But as I've learned more about who my children are and what I think they need, I'm not willing to crush that child just for the sake of some chore being done perfectly, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's a consequence, you know, that someone else will have to reap if they make a different call than me. But right. Well, and sometimes, you know, it's even turned into then a repentance conversation because they'll say, you were more strict when me when I was that, you know, you didn't let me do that. I was an oldest child, so I definitely at least thought it. I'm not sure I actually argued with my mom about it, but I definitely harbored resentment (laughs) about things she let younger kids do that Mm -hmm. she didn't. You know, she was stricter with the older than the younger. And now I will never do that as a mom. So, of course, that's what's happened. (laughs) (laughs) So now I can just warn my own child like, yeah, I know. I know. Oldest to oldest. I hear you. And I'm just telling you, don't. Don't make any resolutions about not doing it yourself because you might. <laughs> right. It's hard, I think, until you have a number of children to realize just how life changes as you go on, too. And about mm-hmm. how different it is to be a young, like I wasn't the youngest child. So I didn't realize 
how different it is to be trying to keep up with older people your whole life and Mm -hmm. how they are sometimes ready for things earlier than their siblings were that didn't have older siblings. There is a sense in which it is different to be a younger child than to be an older child. Mm -hmm. And so... And when they have different personalities and they have different needs and the family situation, the resources available are different. Like all of these factors play into it. Right. And that's why there is not a hard and fast rule. Right. Well, and we've relaxed more as mothers, right? We realize, oh, if they fall, they're not going to die. I mean, you know what I mean? Like when you have your first baby and you're like, (gasps) about everything. I mean, we were, I was joking with my friends the other day about how, you know, with the first one, you're like, you know, don't fall out of a tree. I don't want you to break your leg. And with the last one, you're like, don't fall out of a tree. I have no time to go to the ER. Right. It's like a totally (laughs) different priority because you've learned that, you know, bodies heal. Right. (laughs) And so now it's just like, don't, don't step on my schedule, kid. You know, (laughs) anyway, life changes as time goes on. Let's see here. New question. How does standing through the storm and being the peace after look in the middle of the storm with other children around? Do you send the stormy one away, but then what makes them want to come back? This must be from you, Misty. I think it is. Okay. Um, I think it looks stormy. (laughs) 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 Um. I think it's just one of those things that you have to pray for wisdom on what to do because there isn't one of those just pat answers to always do. Uh, and it's a little bit hard to know what the context is here. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are times where we've just dealt with a bad attitude right then and there, no matter who in the family is around, not like in the middle of the grocery store or something. And then sometimes there are seizing control of the situation, like during morning time or whatever, and their bad attitude is ruining it for everyone else. I was like, well, no, then you can't be here. You know? Yeah, you have to leave. Um, you know, and when that was a 12 month old or an 18 month old, I just picked them up and took them to their room, put them in their crib and came back down and went to go get them afterwards. And then when it's a five or six year old, you just say, go to your room. You can come down when we're done. Same when it's a 12-year-old or 13-year-old. It's like, sorry, you're excused. We're having a good time. Go away. (laughs) (laughs) But then sometimes, you know, they're just stormy because of whatever, hormones, lack of sleep. And you just say, you don't like make excuses for them. But, you know, you can say, you know, you know what? You're tired. Of course you feel bad. And you're, this isn't actually the big deal that you're telling yourself in your head. You're just tired. Go take a nap. <laughs> they don't yeah. like hearing that, but I was like, eh. I care. I think it's Nancy Wilson who said the first line of defense is give them a nap, give them Cheerios, or give them a bath. You know, that's for the <laughs> toddler. But you know, it really applies when they're older too. It's like, okay, you need sleep, you need food, you need a shower. Yeah. Yeah, I think actually Susan Wise Bauer says something about yeah. that in one of her talks. Yeah, yeah, she does for teens too. I think. And, and Kendra Fletcher, mm-hmm. I think I sent something similar. So I think that it's, I think it's a real thing. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a thing for adults, right? Right. You're like, why am I melting down right mm. now? Well, I didn't get enough sleep. I haven't eaten right today. <laughs> it's pretty much the same thing. 
I usually mm-hmm. take showers, so I can't really say I'm not clean, but. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you need a bubble bath. You and your baths. <laughs> yeah. And so partly it's just, yeah, looking at the situation and remembering they're people and you're a person and you can relate. Yeah. You know, so saying, okay, I feel like this too sometimes and kind of handling it, even if it's just in your own head and how you're reacting, I think helps us diffuse the situation in our own heads. Because it's easy for me to escalate it and treat it like, now this is a disobedience issue. It's like, right. Whew, take a big deep breath, calm down. They're just hormonal right now. Yeah. <laughs> Give them a snack and time to cool off. Have them drink ice water. Drink a cup of ice water yourself and say, okay, let's try that again. We really do have to pray for wisdom because I find I have one child that is easy to escalate. And I have to be really careful because sometimes I do it without realizing it because I'm kind of responding the way my other three kids, if I responded that way, would be fine. You know? Yeah. I love how it all goes back to children are born persons. Yep. So true. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next question. I'd love some real life concrete examples of issues and self-controlled responses you all have actually used with success. I have a crier. And we have a lot of bumps when something hits her hard emotionally, or she is confronting her own imperfection in schoolwork of various kinds. So I think it's two separate things, probably something hitting her hard emotionally and then confronting her own imperfection. I see those as two separate things because something could hit her hard emotionally, like mom telling her to do her chores or I mean, like depending on the day and how things are going. So anyway, does anyone want to speak to that part of it? Well, I want to speak to the first mm-hmm. part of it. Okay, go for it. You know, the whole what what's worked for you. Yeah, yeah. The humor thing, the play. Mm. And a lot right. of times, just pulling them whenever you have, or what I have found is whenever I have a kid who's struggling, like with, say, learning to read or something like that, it works wonders just to pull them onto your lap and say, hey, why don't you sit in mom's lap while we practice this? For whatever reason, they're frustrated and beginning to struggle and melt down over something like reading. And it's like, okay, come sit mm-hmm. in my lap. And it, I don't know, it always worked for us. Maybe it wouldn't work so great for anyone else. But just the, you know, pulling them close, giving them a hug, letting them sit in the lap while they work. And I'm not talking about a 13-year-old here. I'm talking about, you know, seven or eight-year-old. Right. <laughs> and then diffusing the situation with a little bit of play or something is, yeah, that's that works here. Yeah. And finding ways to help them it is diffusing the situation and I think seeing it as good practice for them because they're learning how to do self-control. You're helping them learn how to calm down. So, you know, we've, when we've had yeah. math tears, it's like, okay, go take a walk and get a drink of ice water. Like instead of saying, stop it and keep going, like you're not getting up until this is done. That's bad advice mm-hmm. and not going to work. <laughs> you know, just think of apply that to any other situation. It's not the best way to manage time or energy or getting anything done. If you are able to take a step back when your emotions well up and kind of you, no one's going to get the right math answer when they're crying. So you have to solve that first. Hmm. If you want the math problem solved. <laughs> And then, yeah, it's just practice. Take a big, deep breath. Take a walk. Okay, so I have a really, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your take a walk thing. I have to keep remembering that because I have a child. I think that would help. I haven't tried that with my kids yet. I have a weird thing I'll add to this. So probably some of our listeners are going to think that alternative medicine is weird. That's fine. They are free to roll their eyes at me and move on. But <laughs> I am. It's fine. Um, yes, go for it. I, I use a lot of homeopathy in my house and there is a remedy for emotional overwhelm. It's called Ignatia Amara. And I use it with great success when someone is overwhelmed by their schoolwork. And so it can pretty much get them over that hump of crying. Because before this, I was having it where the crying basically shut down the Uh lesson for that day. And so we couldn't move on. Now we can regroup and actually move on, which is helpful because sometimes it was happening at the beginning of the lesson. Right. If it was happening at the end, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. So. I'll put it all for anybody who is open to weird stuff. (laughs) I'll put a link in the show notes and people can try it. And I'm not saying it works with every single person because in homeopathy, they say it has to actually be a match to be effective, but um, it works great with one of my kids. So, okay. I want to know how much of this can I take personally without overdosing? (laughs) Because I've already Googled it. So. Oh my gosh, you're so funny. Uh, So on the side, it usually has directions about what a dose is. And I usually just give one dose. So it'll say like three pellets under your tongue or five pellets. Depending on the brand, it varies. And so I give a dose. And then if it's really bad, I might give another dose in half an hour. But you're not actually supposed to take it all day long, Pam. Sorry. So darn But, you know, in a way, that's giving them something to do to handle it. And so, you know, even taking something like, okay, take a deep breath. You're going to go get a drink of ice water. And I'm going to give you a hug. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, so we're going to do something to regroup. And that we're going to do this. And not letting them get off. Like, especially if it's happening, you know, you have to use wisdom and figuring out the situation and what's going on. But you don't want them to be able to get out of their work by crying and start manipulating the situation. What? Yeah, yeah, really. And while I don't think that was happening at my house, I was afraid that long term, that would be the consequence that that would be learned. It's not what they're even intentionally trying to do, but it can happen. Right. Where then that becomes their default strategy. Right. And like I said in my talk when I mentioned criers, uh, or no, no, it was during a Q&A where um, I had a friend tell me early on, you know, like the biggest favor we can do our children, specifically daughters, usually it's daughters that struggle with this, but not necessarily, is to help them learn to control their emotions. It's a big favor to their future spouses, their favor to their future children, all of that, because if they haven't learned to control their emotions, then they're going to be emotional when they're the adult in the room, too. Yeah. And it's not about suppressing their emotions, but learning how to handle them is a big favor that we can give them. So yeah, just Googling to see if there's an article. Um, Rachel Jankovic has a chapter in a book. And I'm seeing if she has it as a blog post hmm. on oh. emotions as horses that your children, especially daughters, oh, right. are riding. And so you have to train them how to ride their wild horse. Oh, she does. It is online. So I'll send you the link. Oh, great. Okay, perfect. 
you know what? I do have one emotional boy. So when you get an emotional boy, all those girl articles are really helpful. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question. Yep. Yes. Okay. Misty, can you share a bit more details about your Monday? Pam, do you do Monday meetings? No. I don't either. So, okay. So then Misty, this is just you. Can you share a bit more details about your Monday meetings with your kids? I get the impression or have a vague memory of you mentioning commonplacing together. Is that right? Do you review the upcoming week? How can we implement this in our own homes as a leadership tool? Uh, I think it does help as a leadership tool because it's a way to help bring the kids on board with the plan and their own plan. For me, it's been a way to keep you know, for students accountable to the work that's assigned to them. Because if you're not checking the work that you've assigned, it's not being done pretty much across the board. That's the way it works. Yeah. So it's my time for checking everything and making sure we're on the same page as to what expectations are, what's going to be done this week, because I can't always check everything every day as it as we're going along. So it's my time set aside on Monday mornings that I'm going to look at every single thing that was assigned to them last week. And then we're going to talk about what they have to do this week. Okay. So you're checking last week's I am. work. That I did not get that before. Okay. And we were going to, when I started, it was going to be Monday meetings where we would talk about the week and plan the week. And I'd go over their checklist with them. And then Fridays, we'd have another one where I did all the checking. But the Friday one never actually worked out. And so I was like, well, we got the Monday meeting here this time. We're already looking at the books. We're already talking. We're just going to have the one meeting and take care of it all here in this one spot that we That does sound more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually like that. And then then we have the next week's checklist right there. So if they didn't finish something, it's not like this huge thing. It's, okay, so you're going to do that today too. We're moving Mm. it onto this week's list. So it helped it not become a big deal because I was waiting. I wasn't checking it often enough. So when I did find out something wasn't being done, it was suddenly a big deal. So ah. this helps it helps me catch it before it's a big deal. And I have a str- you know, I have a plan for what to do when I see something not done. And so we could just roll with it and not let it become a fight or a problem. Nice. Now this year I am doing a Friday meeting with my two older ones only and we're not checking work. That's kind of our discussion meeting. And hmm. so that's where the commonplacing is coming in. But I got that from you, Brandy. So <laughs> Yes. I was like, that sounds like something I did. I don't do that as much now because I did that in the beginning of teaching them how to commonplace. Right. I'm about to start doing that with my next child. Yeah. Right now, I'm not doing that. And I have a set. We just started seventh grade. So he is assigned commonplacing and I ask him to show it to me and then I show him mine. We're not do- like doing it at the same time or anything. It, it yeah. is assigned on his checklist, but then we have this space where it's one-on-one and we can actually have a book discussion because I'm also not doing oral narrations with everyone after they've done every reading. So this is my efficient discussion time (laughs) Mm. with the the older kids only who can actually have a discussion (laughs) because I'm a a cheater. (laughs) It's okay. I am going to write more about the Monday meetings. We actually had a whole year of it being successful. So now I feel like I actually can share it. (laughs) Yeah. You can tell people who have been blogging long enough where they actually do it before they write about it. (laughs) 
I think we've all learned our lessons the hard way. <laughs> so it's so not so it's so great on paper. <laughs> <laughs> but but Pam, you guys did a workshop that's part of your student planner thing, right? Yeah, we did. So um, we have the independent student student planner and Dawn and Ann Carico and I got together and chatted about, you know, how to move kids towards being a little more independent. And we talked about different kinds of weekly meetings. And Dawn, Dawn's actually looks a little like yours, Misty. But we gave a couple of other kind of weekly meeting versions mm-hmm. in there because, you know, Ann um, has done something different because she had kids. She was not Charlotte Mason or classical. And so she actually moved her kids towards independence. And they were doing a lot of things on their own in high school Mm -hmm. and middle school. And so hers looked different. And then I had a local mom who told me what she did for all for years and years. Hmm. And hers looked different. So we kind of shared all of these different ideas in this audio that comes comes with the student planner. Cool. You can give me a link for that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So just finding those ways to get on the same page as your student. You know, whether that's like during a, you know, Cindy talks about having an agenda sort of time and morning time where you're just kind of making sure you're all on the same page as for expectations for that day, what's happening, kind of the spiral notebook thing where if you're just writing out each list each day, you know, in a way that's kind of the same idea. It's some way to be on the same page with the kids. And yeah, I was going to mention that, the, uh, well, I think she called it morning meeting. Yeah, Cindy. But just that little announcement time, which can be at the beginning of morning time, but that makes sure, yeah, that the expectations are managed for the day. That's why I started doing it was because she had introduced it, but I thought, ah, it's not a big deal. And then all of a sudden I realized I had kids upset because, oh, there's a doctor appointment or I'm going somewhere and someone's going to watch them or whatever. And they didn't know and they didn't like that. You know, it just, Mm -hmm. it's the transition really to children that care (laughs) because the little kids are just kind of along for the ride and it was surprising to me all of a sudden I had all these kids that like thought they had a right to their own time gosh (laughs) Mm. so it was really helpful to just lay out you know this is what today's gonna look like or you know on Monday morning to say okay so on Thursdays our first day of co-op so you know be ready for that or what I mean just all those kinds of things can be said in a short little three-minute meeting at the beginning of circle time Mm mm-hmm but it really, um, it took out some little fights that were happening just because people were taken aback by plans <laughs> they didn't know we had, you know, so. Yep. All right. Well, um, thank you, guys. This was great. Nice talking to you. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fun. good. And the retreat was fun. It was good to revisit those themes and. Yeah. Now, now for Monday morning and actually applying them in my own home. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> yep. Seriously. Talk to y'all later. All right. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the sisterhood of the podcast. I know you're waiting to find out how to get your own Leading Well Retreat replay. Whether you want a replay for your own personal use or you want to host a retreat for your own local group, the process is simple. Just go to scalaysisters.com slash lead and follow the directions on the page. Our next episode is also the final episode of season four. It's about putting the Mary back in Christmas, but it's about way more than Christmas. It's about the classical idea of happiness. 
Misty once challenged us not to just be classical in our education, but also in our approach to happiness. Can we be classical in our approach to Christmas? Listen to find out. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone. So open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters. Can you give some examples of things to live for? I was going to say ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do relationships well, but efficiency, I can knock out the park. (laughs)